Anything is Potable is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Celtics ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Even a dummy like me can do it. You can get theater tickets. You can get music tickets. You can get anything on the GameTime app. If I want to buy my parents tickets to a Josh Groban concert, I can do it. Boom. You can see panoramic seat views with the GameTime app. It's amazing. Ooh, panoramic seat views, boy. So, So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. We're back. Anything is potable! <laughs> we are back. We got a new name. We've got a new show. We've got a new logo. We've got a new network. Well, but I'm still, I'm still Jay King from The Athletic, and you are still Sam Jam Packard, now with The Athletic. Ooh. Now with The Athletic, and it's big time, baby, and I'm excited. It's been, it's been a while since I've been able to get, get these takes off, and I'm excited to, to be here with you and to provide the people with the, the insight and analysis that they're, they're so used to when me and you talk. So, so for those of you who have never listened to us, we used to be two-thirds of the Locked On Celtics podcast, the Rain and Jays. We recently abandoned John Corrales. <laughs> sorry, sorry, John. We, we, didn't, we didn't mean to. It just happened. And so here we are resurfacing with the Anything is Potable podcast here on the Athletic Network. We are going to have at least two podcasts a week, sometimes more, sometimes bonus shows. One of them will be under the paywall. One of them per week will be faux free. You can you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Anything is potable. You can get 40% off an annual subscription at The Athletic right now through us. Theathletic.com slash anything is potable. Please do that, by the way. If, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, it's awesome. Not because I work there, not because Jam now works there, but because so many writers are so good. And if you sign up through us, first of all, you get 40% off, but also we get credit. And yeah. that's the more important thing. That's what we're looking for. And you should already be subscribed to The Athletic because it does feature the great writing of the kid, Jay King. But it has probably the best beat writer in every NBA market, every NFL market. And that's why they reached out to people like me. They just know talent. Um, but please subscribe. <laughs> Please tell your friends, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Spotify. Like Jay said, we should have two episodes a week. We're thinking right now Wednesdays and Fridays. The free episode will be on Wednesdays, and some of that bonus content uh, will be on Fridays. And then who knows? Who knows what uh, characters from The Athletic that Jam Packer will talk to and throw up for a bonus podcast. That's just what what you guys need to find out on uh, Anything is Potable. We're going to have guests. Like we have a guest today. The great Sean Grady is going to be joining us in a matter of moments. Celtics play-by-play guy. True legend. Good friend with Mick Foley, a.k.a. Mankind. Don't know if you heard of him. It's impressive. That's, that's kind of a wild story. We got to ask Grandy about that on the podcast. 
how does Sean Grandy become friends with Mick Foley? That's that's just one of the world's mysteries. Well, could be question number one. That that that's that's right up there. So subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, go do it. And anyone unfamiliar with us, we just kind of like to talk basketball. And sometimes we'll chat about real basketball stuff, lineups. We'll talk about coaching decisions. We'll talk about player trends, numbers sometimes, Ooh. analytics. And then other times we'll just get goofy. My man Jam has always had rain and junk. Are we coming up with a new name for that? Or are we, or are we keeping rain and junk? I mean, the junk still applies. Like it, it can rain from anywhere. So I still think it's rain and junk. Yeah, I think I... Uh, Jay gives us that uh, NBA insider perspective, bringing you that, all the hot scoops from inside the locker room. And I'm more just a, a Celtics fan who uh, somehow has a platform. So I think it's a nice mix of two different perspectives, uh, giving you all the, all the Celtics coverage you could uh, ever ask for. It feels so weird kind of describing who we are, because I feel like for so long we've just been been riffing. And I think a lot of people probably listen to us hopefully listen to us and we'll come over and listen to us again but for anybody new i'm glad to have you aboard and i'm glad to be back podcasting and i'm glad to have sean grandy on this podcast and i'm glad to hear jam's beautiful voice back in my earbuds it sounds good we also I'm excited have new audio quality updated audio quality we have legitimate microphones now because that's the athletic touch they said, we're not going to start a podcast. We're, we'll send you a microphone. No more just using your headbuds, your headphones, earbuds. Damn it. I didn't even use those. I used to just talk into my phone. Yeah, that was the quality audio quality we were known for. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, this is a new year. It's new year, new me. New year, new us. All right, let's talk some Celtics. Let's get, let's get Grandy in here. On the, we got Sam Packard on the line as well. Sam, what's up, man? Not much. How's it going, Sean? Thanks for joining us. Well, I'd say anything for you and the other guy, just anything to get him off my case. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> uh, all right, so I'll, uh, I'll give you a little intro. Not that you need an intro, but then we'll get started in this. You ready for this, Grandy? I don't think you're ready for this. You're our first. Well, I'll save this for the podcast. So. Save, save it all. Bring your best. You'll need it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we are with Sean Grandy, who needs no introduction. Celtics play-by-play legend. Absolute legend of the game. He is our first guest. Guest on the very first episode of the Anything is Potable podcast. I got to ask you first, Grandy, first question. What do you think of our name, Anything is Potable? I'm still trying to process being the first guest because it's processing not just being it, but wondering who else could you possibly have even considered? Like, why they, is that even a thing? Why was it even a discussion? Why was there even a preamble to that? Who else could possibly be the first guest? They told us we needed a big fish, and I, I said, I'm not going to lie, you were are, you are the second. You were the second. <laughs> what, my, my wife was not available? <laughs> I, I texted Scal. And uh, Scalabrini big timed us. Scalabrini did not want to be a guest on the show, and so I'm going to suggest that's only because he's doing about 13 of his own podcasts right now. Yeah, that that's that's kind of what he said. So Scal Scal big timed us. Grandy did not big time us. Grandy is a big anything is potable friend. The best part, and it will be a forgotten part of history, and you know 
one of the things I enjoy is making sure that the things we say are going to be a forgotten part of history do not become forgotten. So the fact that anything is possible lives on in this way, in that moment, and it was in the uh, uh, you know the Saturday Night Live sketch. It was in one of the you know the digital shorts. It will go forever and ever, and forgotten will be that he messed up the line. <laughs> it was supposed to. It was the Nike thing. It was supposed to be nothing is impossible. <laughs> but he yeah. forgot it. Actually, everyone forgets it. But he forgot it in the moment when everything was going crazy. And instead of screaming what he had been paid to scream, which is nothing is impossible, which was their big slogan at the time, he yelled out his own, and now that has lived on. Nobody remembers that even remembers that Nike slogan. See, I completely forgot ago. it was a it was a paid uh, bit. I thought it was sure. just a he was overcome with emotion, well, but yeah. It, well, he was overcome with emotion, which is why I forgot it. But it was the same as it was in the vein of what are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. You know, it was that idea. Nothing is impossible. Yeah, but like when the, you've just the won the championship, Manning being a shill for what was it? The beer company, maybe P- Papa John's. He used to always have something when he when he right. won a Super Bowl. But in fairness, like Peyton Manning's become the king of that. Like he's so good at all these commercials and whatever that I think all that stuff is. He's. Glo- I also think it's perfect that we chose a botched line because that's just kind of what we do on the podcast. We just <laughs> screw up everything. And that's the I- bar. I also want to thank him for doing that because nothing is potable. Probably it doesn't work. Not as good. The, doesn't work. The same ring. All right, we'll we'll dig into last year's debacle a little later in this conversation because I do want to get your your thoughts on that, Grandy. But let's start with this year's squad. What are you most looking forward to discovering about this team? I feel like that's a weird question, but well, <laughs> but take but us yet, where you want. Yeah, let me let me take that sort of feeble attempt at a question and sort of reconstruct <laughs> it in a way that gives us a, sets us off in this opening question to the opening pod in a positive direction, which is I really am curious to see what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going to be because one of the trends of the last decade or so in the NBA I've generally found, and it has to do with immediate gratification, is players come in with big hype and there's focus on them, and then the draft, and then when they don't become superstars, super superstars, in their first year or two, everybody sort of turns away, and they forget the natural process that this is a league in which most players don't become elite players. I'm old enough now. My first year in the league was Dirk Nowitzki's first year in the league. He was terrible his first year. He was brutal. (laughs) <laughs> and then we had the whole influx of all the high school guys who would come in at eight. And what judgment can you possibly make on these guys, let alone the fact that it really takes a guy a third and fourth year until you know, and Max would argue with me, that what we knew with Anthony Bennett, like the first minute you saw Anthony Bennett, you knew. Probably Denver. Too. There's Right, yeah, yeah. There's some of those guys, certainly, that you know. But some of them, you turn like Dirk, you, it turns out you're wrong because you didn't give him enough time. So I think that's... You know, turning the clock back in some ways a couple of years earlier to where suddenly the expectations are gone, and Brad gets back to being Brad is on my list with you know with Jason and Jalen. I think that last year comes into play only in that that weight is gone, and there's so much potential for fun with this group and with a you know I'm not you don't rookies mean losses generally speaking, in the NBA. 
But this is a collection of really hardworking kids with great backstories, as you well know, Jay, because you just wrote a great one this week about Carson Edwards. This is going to be a fun team to be around and to and to root for and to watch these guys develop. And it's uh, you're you're doing it at a fairly high level where there's still people that think they're going to win 50 games. Which so is, you said something about Brad getting back to being Brad, and I, I think part of that obviously is him coaching a winning team and having an overachieving team. That's part of what made Brad Brad and what developed his reputation. But the other part of that, I think, is just him being happy. <laughs> I think la- last year was really trying for him. How did you see last year, like the kind of burden on him and, and how he handled that? From the start. It was from the start. And it's really funny as we sit here talking about, of course, you can't find enough salt, enough grains of salt to qualify the preseason that just happened, in which the Celtics were, for whatever it's worth, the best team in the NBA, right, for a couple of weeks in the preseason against the terrible schedule and all those things. But yet, look at how bad last year's preseason was. It set the tone. So it was never – I think even in the moment, I don't remember exactly the call – of the final few seconds of the last Milwaukee game. But I think I said something about a season that was uncomfortable from the start and, you know, ended the way it ended. And it really, it just was unhappy from the beginning. I think it's going to take many, many years until people loosen up and actually talk about the reality of last season. And books will one day probably be written about it, or at least that make reference to some of the things that were going on. And just what was a terrible mix of, personalities that didn't fit together and that's not a you know good guys bad guys thing it just didn't fit in a a variety of ways and I think that was a learning how many seasons has Brad Stevens had to go through like that very very few so therefore you can't learn without adversity you can't learn until you're suddenly hit with a brick wall and the reality is he hadn't been hit with too many This is a team that for the four seasons before it, not one, not two, but for the four seasons before it, had moderately to dramatically overachieved. So this was just a big, giant, you know, I think Brad Stevens, like any, whatever your job is, whatever you do in life, if you're not challenged, you don't get better. And the reality is he had had an extraordinary amount of success. I mean, a year ago, people were talking about him as being one of, if not the best coaches in the league. Nobody's saying that right now. And you think he, for, you know, it's my favorite thing. We've probably talked about this before. I love the coach of the month award in the NBA. That's like my favorite thing in the world because whenever you're a big Doc coach of the it, month guy, I love it. And here's why, because whenever doc got it or whenever Brad got it, I knew the end of the pregame coaches show was a freebie for me because you say, Hey, congratulations on winning coach of the month. Why were you such a good coach last month? And what were you doing wrong the month before? You know, because it's it's just this, you know, this absurd nature of coaching well or not coaching well or being the right or the wrong coach. And if you know Brad Stevens at all, you know that last year drove him to become better at all of the things. And, you know, that if the situation comes again down the road for him in any circumstance where he suddenly has a different kind of team, whatever, he's going to be more prepared for it. What do you think the biggest takeaway was for Brad because we talk he talks a lot about process he talks a lot about um having to go through adversity and kaizen incremental growth 
Um, what do you think the biggest takeaway was from last season, or was it just like learning how to deal with difficult personalities? I think there was, I mean, let's face it, there was, uh, you could argue about different personalities and what Marcus Morris brought. And I, you know, I love that dude personally, but we're basically talking about one personality here Yeah. and it wasn't a bad personality. <laughs> it was one that just, we learned a lot of things last year. Number one is that the government is, what does government mean to you? <laughs> Internet isn't real. That Has anyone asked on your, Brad what government well, means to him? Here's the point. Right? I, I, I may at some point this year just slide it in. Uh, I'm sure there'll be some subtle references over the course of the year to, to different things. But that, that dude there, the fungus on your shower shoes, what does government mean to you, Flake, uber-talented, can be the second-best player on your team or the second-best locker room guy, but he can't be the leader. He can't be the – if you have Kevin Garnett or LeBron James – or that strong Charles Barkley alpha in your room, you can have Kyrie's interesting personality. And I, I feel my opinion of Kyrie really never changed, and it was very flat. People were kind of on me uh, during a lot of last year that I was sort of too critical of him and whatever. And then when everybody turned on him after February, and especially towards the end, everyone felt I was being too soft on him. When I didn't ever really change my opinion, it's just the opinion around me completely did a, a 180. And I think we discriminate. This is what I would say on that people didn't really face. We discriminate, first of all, against people that are weird, right? That are odd. Jay, you know this. They're, we discriminate. <laughs> is that because I'm weird? Was that a shot at my weirdness? <laughs> uh, of course it was. Of course it was. I want to see if you're still paying attention <laughs> after these long ads. No, it's people, seriously, people discriminate against people that are odd or different. There's a weird thing that we don't, you know, we just don't accept them necessarily. And, Kyrie came in, and uh, listen, the promise was the promise. He said he was going to stay, and he didn't. So everything he gets because of that, I think, is earned. But one of the things about Kyrie that I said a lot is this. I think everybody connected to the organization, fans, everybody, magically thought Kyrie was going to change. And you know who Kyrie was for the two years he was in Boston? The same dude he was in Cleveland. And the same dude he's probably going to be in Brooklyn. It, you got exactly what you thought. But I think there was an element of denial about all of the behavior that Kyrie had exhibited in Cleveland for all the years before that. But I think everybody said, you know what? The same thing you do. And all of a sudden, you're dating the hottest. You're dating a model. You're dating the hottest girl in the world. You heard some weird stuff, right? You heard some bad stuff about previous relationships. But what do we, what do we say? But that won't happen with me. That's not going to happen here. And I think we all, I think everyone sort of talked themselves into it when Kyrie was the same guy. It was unfair to expect Kyrie to be a different guy. And he was. So, con so continuing on with this uh, metaphor, how is Kemba Walker as a as a rebound to Kyrie Irving? Because all the stories coming out say he's the a model citizen, but is he the the leader, the the number one guy in the locker room? I think that he will be, you know, in his own way. We don't know yet. Right, uh, I think one of the things that happened with Kyrie, it, it, not only that there wasn't a Kevin Garnett, LeBron James, that personality, I'm not even talking about the quality of player, I'm talking about the, the, the personality type. Look at the mix. Look at you know, the way Brad manages people and the other guy that could have been that, on another team might have been that locker room guy, Al Horford. Those were two guys that weren't going to kind of pull Kyrie aside. And shut, and shut it down. 
And whereas some other guys we're talking about, some more vocal type A personalities, probably would have. It would have been a different, a different room. But it, it's funny because Kyrie said about like the fourteen or fifteen year vet, how they needed yeah, that. Funny. And in the end, yep. like he, he needed, needed that, that to control him. <laughs> like exactly. it wasn't the rest and of the locker room needed it. It was like Kyrie guys, needed like not, Kendrick Perkins to get in and smack him around. He did that with a lot. A lot of times. He was saying these guys need you – no, know, talking about the young guys. These guys need this. These guys need that. And it was almost – there were a lot of moments last year of, uh, dude, look, at, look in the mirror here. And I think one of the things that, you know, that with the situation so dramatically turning around was that Celtics fans' biggest fear one year ago, biggest fear, was that Kyrie was going to leave. But nobody factored in the idea that everyone thought if he left, it would be because the situation around him – wasn't good enough somehow. Nobody factored in that he would be a major part of why things went wrong when, the, when they happened that. But I've, ne- I've never seen the turnaround, which I trace heavily. And, Jay, I assume you were there February 1st in that media gaggle. That oh, I was. Garden. Oh, I certainly that, was. That minute, that changed everything, in my view. That was everything that day because that completely shook everybody up. And it's not a coincidence to me. I was not surprised by the 10 and 10 start because you had new pieces coming back. You had, uh, you know, Kyrie and Gordon Hay- and Gordon Hayward starting. And we all know that was a mistake and he wasn't ready to do that. Pieces fitting together, a very tough schedule. People forgot that similar deal this year with a lot of road games, a lot of Western conference road games early 10 and 10 start didn't surprise me. The 25-9 and nine that came after, in which they were arguably the best team in the league, everyone forgets about that, for a long period of time, that didn't surprise me. But what did surprise me was the, the finish, you know, the, the really poor play in those bad games down the stretch. And everyone remembers losing the leads against the Clippers and the Lakers. Everyone, the worst one of all may have been that road game in Charlotte, that Saturday night game in Charlotte was just, you know, where they had the 18-point lead, I think, in the fourth quarter. There were so many games like that. And that, to me, it's not a coincidence that things came apart after February 1st. And well, we're after... discussing dysfunction. What was, aside from last year's team, what was the most dysfunctional team you've ever been around? I mean, that's hard. I'd have to think of what the second-place team was. You could argue, you know, that 07 team was a mess, but that was the Paul Pierce injury and – an extraordinary amount of young players. I remember my second year in the league, a team that ended up being really good in Minnesota, a uh, team that won fifth, they would set the franchise record for wins and was just stuck in that mix in the West when you had all those good teams out there when Rashid was at the Blazers and the Lakers were really good and Tim Duncan was with the Spurs. and uh, Minnesota would always go out in the first round, even with Kevin Garnett and Wally Zerbiak and Terrell Brandon and those guys. Uh, that team started 7-13. and thir- That was a really good team. And they started 7-13. and 13. And it was really uncomfortable and dysfunctional to the point that at that time, the big free agent was the recently retired, about to unretired Dennis Rodman. And there was like heavy conversation that Dennis Rodman was going to come to Minnesota, which I think would have driven the... Dennis Rodman and Kevin Garnett would have been an incredible duo. Wouldn't it? That would have been something, right? (laughs) Oh, wow. That would have been something. I Um, have no idea what would have resulted if those two had been in the same locker room. You know, if you think about just the Celtics team, it's this 20, you know, as you often point out, I am getting old. This is 22 years yeah, now. Yeah, you are. 
coming. I'm I'm aware of it. My son just turned eight, and he tells me like every day, so I get it. But he, I would say I can't. I've been lucky enough that most of the teams I've been around have not underachieved. The funny thing is, as much as we romanticize about the era, and of course there were recoveries, you want to talk about like dysfunctions slash underachievement slash what is going on here. What about the 2010 Celtics in the final two-thirds of the year? A team that went to Game 7 of the finals that had all these future Hall of Famers on it managed to lose half of their final 54 games because they, I mean, that was a new level of phoning it in with that team. That was the Rasheed, you know, the Rasheed Wallace team and like that team that was so good and knocked LeBron out and changed the league by finishing LeBron in Cleveland and won the Eastern conference finals and went up to won the first two games in Orlando. That team was just, that team lost to New Jersey when the Nets were the worst team in the league. That team was down by 28 at home to a Washington team that missed the playoffs you know, there was just so many bad nights that you just became accustomed to it. And that's sort of not the dirty little secret of the, the new Big Three era, is that after that first, until the Garnett injury, that nearly two-year period, they were as good as any team has ever been, ever. After the Garnett injury, and then particularly after the, the Perk trade, this was like a 45-win team in the regular season which is remarkable when you consider the, you know, the rise of Rondo joining the Hall of Famers, and yet that was not a team that went hard on the, on the gas pedal every night. So there was plenty of dysfunction, but there was always the feeling they could turn it around. And I think this will be a forgotten part of history too. People ask me all the time, why didn't the Celtics make a move for the deadline? Why didn't they do this and they do that? And the reason is because I just mentioned they went 10 weeks as the best team in the league last year. And there were all these moments that you kept thinking the turnaround was possible. They go to Golden State and win by 35 out there. They won the first five games of the playoffs, and they handed the Bucks their worst loss of the year in game one. So it just kept feeling. We kept talking ourselves into the idea that, you know what, it's going to turn around. And maybe that's because some of that leftover residue of the new big three Celtics doing that was there because that, that team would mess around in the regular season almost every year and then, play better in the playoffs. I think that the discussion of like living up to expectations is, is kind of curious heading into this season because it feels like the, the championship expectations are not there. And it feels like the Celtics are clearly um, not as good as the bucks or the 76ers, but there still seems to be there the consensus number three team in the East. And so it's where where do they fit in there? If they start slow, do people, are people as upset as they were last season or people okay because they know of championships probably not uh in the cards this year absent a big deal and i'm very curious to see how this team responds to adversity knowing that one they're not expected to win the championship and so does does that make it more fun or does that make them not as not press as hard i think it, it kind of helps brad stevens's style of play where he uh kind of wants those uh gritty underachievers but i'm just very curious like how the team reacts to we don't think you're going to win a championship this year well, Sam, here's why that's an interesting question, because I think it's very possible. It is curious that they are almost, if you could say that they're a consensus number three in the East, it almost feels that way. Most people are actually putting them there. When I think they could easily be third in the East, that wouldn't surprise me. But I think the gap between three and maybe nine is not that big. I mean, you could be, particularly nine? with a tough schedule. Which team is ninth in the East? 
that's that could that be it's gonna gonna get to forty one. Well, it's more like teams that could get to that forty or forty one. Well, it depends on where you how you feel about Chicago or Detroit, or are they gonna trade Blake Griffin or all these other things that we don't know about. It's gonna be ridiculous because a year from now, you I'm sure you listen to all your pods over and over again, and as you idolize me, Jay, I'm sure you'll be listening to this many, many times over and over again <laughs> about the time that you, you got to spend this time with me. And it will sound ridiculous to say life, on going into going into opening night that Chicago could be a team because how did we know about the Lori Markin and injury two weeks into the season? Or how did we know about, you know, or maybe we just because we've seen Zach Levine play, we knew uh, that they weren't <laughs> going to be that good. But there are a lot of reasons that some of these teams could hang around. I personally, everyone, I won't say consensus, because I've seen a couple of people now kind of push them out. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets missed the playoffs. That would not surprise me at all. And yet they seem to be a team that everyone thinks most people think will be in. I just think that the gap is not that great. And I think this idea that the Celtics are going to win, could they win 50 games? They could. That's a lot for a really young team that has to play all those games against the Western Conference. And going back to your point, I think early is, again, the schedule is tough early on. There's a long West Coast trip early in the year, a lot of road games in November. I think the Celtics get through Thanksgiving weekend go to New York. I think they've played 12 road. They're 30% of their road schedule is done by Thanksgiving weekend. So like, no, they're on the road the entire month of November. So another start like that, the good thing they're going to have is that when you put side by side next to last year, it's not likely they're going to fall far behind that, far behind that pace. But it is funny how people talking about, well, this team could win 49 games and go to the second round of the playoffs. And everyone would be happy with that when that's exactly what they did last year. And that's the difference between the between the two teams. But there's, you know, then there's going to be we're going to have Jalen Brown drama, right? With the contract, is that going to go on? And you know, you're always looking for stuff. I think we just didn't realize going into last year how much other stuff because Kyrie Kyrie bears the brunt of it, and that's fine because that's what he asked for when he came here, when he wanted out of Cleveland, it's so he could bear the brunt, so he could be the guy. But a monster part of last year was Terry Rozier, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown spending all summer being told how awesome they were and how they're going to go to the finals and how was it did Danny finally told he told this story publicly right about Jalen Brown the thing that Jalen said to him yeah that last was year, the most ludicrous crushed. quote I've ever heard right okay I just want to make sometimes I say things again when you're around long enough you hear things and then you're not sure. A lot of my life sometimes is figuring, wait, is that, has that been made public yet before I can talk about it? But I, Danny did talk about this publicly, which is Jalen Brown asking him, as sincerely as you can imagine, this was not some sort of boast or whatever. It was he asked Danny Ainge if this team, meaning the last year's team, 18-19 team, was as good or not better than the 86 team. And he was asking it sincerely. And that's what happens when you're 22 years old and everyone is just, it's all a summer of attaboys and you're going to the finals and everything is going to be great. And that led to the Brad Stevens step skipping. And it was, you know, we, what we know now is how doomed the whole thing was from the start. But again, when you're in it and you beat Chicago by 80 and you have the biggest road win in NBA history and you crush Golden State and you had all those quality wins, you, they, they defended so well at the start of last year, and they had that, that, that game out at OKC that they came back and won. There were so many good things that happened last year. It just wasn't what we – it became a season where they win 
They go 25-9, and nine, and yet all we remember from that stretch is Marcus Morris yelling at Jalen Brown and Brad and Kyrie on the last play in Orlando and because the expectations were so high. So the expectations obviously are very different this year. One way I, I think the Celtics can kind of exceed the expectations that they have is for Jason Tatum to grow into a star. And like, he has to become the guy, to me now, for them to become a title contender in the future. He has to take that next step because their plans of having Kyrie Horford and Anthony Davis are gone. They're no longer – they no longer have an obvious path to – that sustainable contention that they talked about a lot before things went so south. So I'm curious to hear, Sean, where you kind of sit on Tatum's potential and what you kind of expect from him going into his third season. The reason I'm so high on what he can do this year is that even sort of a casual fan now it sounds like it's an oxymoron, but a casual fan of the advanced metrics or things can see it doesn't take much to see where Jason Tatum's game can improve so dramatically from last year. If it starts just with shot selection, nothing else but shot selection is going to like clean up his game. Then factor in the ball dominance of Kyrie, which was amazing to watch, by the way, for two years. He's an extraordinarily <laughs> talented player. But it's not surprising that Jason Tatum's development coincided with Kyrie not being on the floor during the, during the playoff run in, in 2018. I think he has a mind for the game to do it. He has obviously the athleticism. I think he is an NBA player. I don't want to get hung up on it. The Kobe stuff is that's just become a a fun sort of side side twist to last year. But there was something wrong when he came back. And again, the Kyrie the Kyrie thing, the Kyrie dominance of all the headlines and whatever, took away from the Terry Rozier, the Jalen Brown, who's got Jalen Brown had a very good second half of the season, by the way, last year. People forget about that. Gordon Hayward coming off the injury, but also the other big factor was that this sort of the skip of the developmental year for Jason Tatum. So I think he's in great position and not to mention that he's still just so young and he's still like filling out athletically to what he's going to be. But I completely agree that that's the guy now. There's no question. That's the guy. But you you talk about Kyrie's ball dominance. um, And that's something I'm going to be definitely looking at is Kemba Walker. And I know this is uh, a lot having to do with his teammates in Charlotte, but I think he had uh, more isolation plays than Kyrie did last year. How does kind of bringing Kemba into the fold where he's very much used to being that number one guy, especially in clutch situations, how does that affect, um, I guess, Jason Tatum's development? I guess the Celtics as a whole, we talk about um, just how all of these personalities uh, kind of meshing. I, I'm just curious to see how Kemba works with having so much more talent around. And is there going to be a kind of a classic cliche, who takes the last shot? Who's who's the go-to guy in the, in the clutch uh, moments? Well, well, we don't know yet, and I would say if I had a concern about this early part of the season, I think when the schedule is tough, is Kemba feeling his way? We didn't see much of him, obviously, in the preseason because the injury wasn't going to play a lot of minutes. But the minutes he did play, you could see that him being overly deferential 
which is what happens when you go to a new team and you're in a new situation. I think that's going to take Kemba part of the season to, I think my, my guess would be on the, you know, as we talk now, a couple of days before the opener, my guess is we're going to see Kemba being too deferential in the early part of the season, which is, I think, very natural and sort of figuring out his new team, but there is nobody, you know, he is a fourth guard. Just ask the Celtics because he's beaten, you know, he beat the Celtics plenty with his, with his fourth quarter performance. And I just think it's what you have to develop is a good situation and a trust between this group. And that's why I think the, I'm, I understand the people that say the national team, A, oh, that doesn't really matter. They played together on the national team. Or B, it's a negative because they played so many extra minutes. I'm, I'm bullish on that idea, particularly in this unique situation with a new star point guard joining this group. I think it was ideal that they got to play together a little bit to develop that. Chemistry is not the word I like, but that comfort level, it comes with anybody you work with from the time you start working with them to the time that, you know, the, the seeds of this all fitting together well are clearly there from the national team to the preseason or whatever. I just think that will take – that's going to take Kemba a little time. But this guy just so desperately wants to be in the playoffs, and he is going to do whatever it takes. And I think it's a matter of not just Kemba can be the guy in the fourth quarter. I think from what I've watched of Kemba Walker in the NBA, he's going to know on any given night – whether that needs to be him or it's Jason Tatum's night in the fourth quarter or it's Gordon Hayward's night in the fourth quarter or it's Jalen Brown's night in the fourth quarter or, hey, maybe it's going to be Carson Edwards' night in the fourth quarter. And I think Kemba, from what I've watched of him in a decade, I think he's a guy that I trust to make that call. It, it's funny because Kemba and Kyrie the last few years have been like on similar levels as basketball players, but Kyrie had – this aura about him and I'm not even talking about his personality at all there was just this aura that Kyrie was untouchable we I've talked about it with some some writers around the league from a perspective of how much hype he has the hype to production value for him like he has more hype than any other player I think at his level and Kemba doesn't really have that and I think that could actually matter for the young guys like like Tatum. He deferred when Kyrie was around. And Hayward never grew as comfortable as he should have, even when he got healthier in the second half of the season. And Jalen, I think they all had issues with that. And I think part of it will change with just Kemba being not having that same aura. But I think also the Celtics really focused this summer on removing some of their talent level or at least some of the established talent level. When I look at their summer, like they didn't sign one established veteran, not one. They lost Marcus Morris. They lost Terry Rozier. They lost, I mean, Kemba, obviously he's established, but as a role player, they didn't sign one and they're going to be relying on rookies. They're going to be relying on all guys. And I think that mattered to Danny Ainge is like, like making sure there is a hierarchy this year and that guys are more empowered to take that next step in their development, whether it's Jalen or Jason or even Hayward coming back from his injury and kind of regaining his status as an all-star type. And you know, the beauty of Horford and which is the big loss obviously is that he was not a guy that would, that was going to stunt anybody's growth, which is why that one really hurts. But of all the things you listed about Kyrie, you also forget he was the Giannis stopper. 
at <laughs> high skill level in the playoffs. Um, I can still, you can close your eyes and just see those like those switches, and, like him calling out, <laughs> like I got this, I got like you don't you don't got it, like you don't know much, but we know that. Um, I think that's that's certainly true. I think if Danny has a concern, is that it did too much talent leave the locker room. Obviously, you needed some. I think the, the the lesson was, listen, Danny spent the years putting this together again, whether it was chasing Anthony Davis or putting Horford and Gordon Hayward and Kyrie together. His the only thing he would have been rueful about in putting together the new big three. There was only there was only one problem with the new big three and the new big three era, which is what? It started too late. All those guys were in their 30s. So his dream was to replicate that with younger players closer to their prime. And he ended up with three players who were younger than that. Because the, the great question you could say, maybe they weren't ready to win or whatever, but if Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce had been put together in 2003 instead of 2007, I mean, Kevin Garnett was the MVP of the league in 2004. Paul Pierce was scoring 28. Ray Allen had crazy years. You could make an argument the Celtics would have won. That's why the new big three versus old big three comparison never worked for me. Because you say, well, they only won, that team won three championships, and the new big three only won one. Well, look at, if you took Bird, McHale, and Parrish at the same age that Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen were, start from 1987 on, they didn't come close. So, like, there's no comparison there. That at that age, those guys were much better. So that's obviously what you were trying to replicate. But the moral of the story last year is that all star, you know, it has to fit together somehow. And again, chemistry is overrated, but it has to fit together from a basketball standpoint. And tying that back into Kyrie, there's a trust factor. And it's hard. It's not a negative that he's the what does government mean to you guy. It's just it's harder to have. Say, you know, it's harder to rely on that dude. It's when you when you just don't have that connection, and and they didn't. And I think one of the things about Kyrie is he would turn his head sideways like a dog at this conversation because he wouldn't understand it. If you told him right now, if you tell him the day before November, you know, whenever that wins the game that he's going to come back and then probably be hurt at that point and not play anyway. But what November twenty fifth, the day before Thanksgiving. Right before Thanksgiving, yeah. Let's say for the sake of this that he does play. And, that, and that's obviously a you know even money bet that he'll he played the opening night game in Cleveland, the game where Gordon Hayward got hurt. He never the Celtics played what one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, they played seven more games in Cleveland after that opening game with Gordon Hayward. Kyrie didn't play in any of them. He didn't go once back to Cleveland after that. Now, the rest of the regular season, the, the playoff games, the preseason game, the next he never he never went back. Well, part of that Literally was because he, he sat that. against most of the garbage teams in the NBA last year. He he did, and the but, Cavs were one of those. But seven for seven, not going back to it was you know anyway. The point is whether he plays or not. If he comes back and whatever happens, if there's a press conference, I think if you told him everybody in Boston is so you were public enemy number one, and the anger towards him, whatever, I think he would legitimately not understand it or believe it. Because I think he was so detached into his own stuff. His own I think story. he did feel the chakra and the spiritual alchemy of the situation. <laughs> it would be something like that, wouldn't it? <laughs> and he came up, I thought it was a great Kyrie news, you know, talking about his, hey, I lost my 
you know, my grandfather, there was stuff in my family. And I think it was a, again, he was just talking in a way that I think like most human beings, he wants to be loved. And he really was loved here. But I don't think he processes, I don't think he processed, and I go back to February 1st. What he did that day was not aimed at the fans or his teammates. It was aimed at the media because of the questions, and I forget what had happened just before that. Remember, the All-Star game came a little bit after that. But he was aiming that at the media. But the friendly fire caught everybody. And fans were never the same with him after that. And, you know, even his teammates, because remember, he told everyone remembers the public declaration in front of the season ticket holders. But he told the team the night before that. He told the team he was staying. So when you sort of go back on that, and of course he was entitled to it, but it was so, whether he meant it or not at the time, it was the smartest thing anyone had ever done in the history of the world ever by saying that publicly. Because it took the, it was never an issue all year. Never an issue until February 1st. And then one thing I, 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 I could listen to you talk Celtics all day, but while you're on my podcast, while you're on our podcast, the anything is potable podcast, the very first episode of the anything is potable podcast. I want, I got to hear more about your friendship with Mick Foley. I've heard about it a little bit, but I think the people need to know that, how you became how does a Celtics play by play guy become friends with mankind, the king of the mandible claw? And so it's I am going to take that absurd non sequitur and <laughs> podcast violation, and I'm going to turn it into one of the accidental great ones of all time. See? Because you know who I was having lunch with on February first in New York when Kyrie said that? Oh my. Mick True story. Foley. True story. That's where I was <laughs> that day because I was looking at my phone. I just you sort of remember where you were. I looked at my phone and everything was going crazy. And I'm like, oh my, here we go. And it was happened to be that day. Um, and Mick was just at uh, Mick did a reading at my wedding a few weeks ago, which is a, a picture people have enjoyed looking at. It's I think you meet people. You're going to meet different people in this in this line of work. This actually went back before I was in the NBA. I met Mick. Everyone remembers his probably most famous moment is the Hell in the Cell, the fall off the top of the cage in Pittsburgh in 1998. I think I met him about two weeks after that. And he was doing some event in Boston, whatever, that my first wife uh, was attending. And they, they met then, and he ended up doing something that he ended up doing with a lot of people, which is like she offered, hey, do you want to stay at our place tonight? not realizing that Mick, one of the legendary cheapskates in the history of that or any other industry, generally did that to save money on hotels and whatever. So I got home from work that night, and Mick Foley was in my house. And uh, <laughs> we've, we've been uh, you know, been friends ever since. And, and What was your talking. reaction when you walk in and mankind is sitting on your couch? <laughs> you know what's funny is that I, generally speaking, I remember not wanting to be – Later, uh, you know, another wrestler was very big at the time, is out of the business now, CM Punk. I remember not – there's people you don't want to meet because you're fans of their work. And you don't – it has to be like – this had to be like you worshiping at, at my feet and all of my work <laughs> over the years. And then you had to have 
some concern about meeting me because what if I turned out to be the jerk that I really am and it ruins the whole the whole idea. I'll tell you what, this, it was you know, it was tough worship. to meet you. It's, I'm sure. It hasn't been good. It hasn't helped your reputation that <laughs> exactly. I actually that's know you the, That's the point because you think, oh my gosh, this is amazingly talented play-by-play guy. I hope he's not a jerk <laughs> and then he turns out to be a jerk. But anyway, that's I don't want to meet people sometimes because I'd rather just have them be fans of them. Like what if they are a jerk in real life? Um, say, for example – the head coach of the Patriots, like, you know, on, is suddenly, you know, I don't know. Let's say your wife, who you're about to marry in six days, uh, is doing an interview, and you just rather – another fascinating story for another time. But I remember sort of not wanting to meet people that I was a fan of. And obviously with Mick Foley and Jim Ross is another one from that from that WWE era, and they just, just became friends over the years. And uh, it's hard to – Hard to really describe it. Obviously, we had a common interest in the business, and Mick came. You'll remember this game. He was a guest of mine at uh, with Celtics. Obviously, everyone remembers the game of all games, and they came back to beat the Nets in the comeback game, and they go up 2-1 in the Eastern Conference Finals. He was at game four when Paul Pierce missed the, missed the free throws. When the Celtics oh, so he's a bad luck charm. That 3-1 lead, yeah, he was at, at that game and comes by from time to time. I just... And I said, always been a fan of him, but he's just, he's a better guy than he was a, you know, was a performer. And I don't think so. I doubt that he can't be. Do no, love true. mankind. Can't be a better guy. That he is may be a great guy, but that guy was electric in the ring. Well, you need to watch his, the stuff he did before WWE, in the year he spent with Paul Heyman in ECW. Find that stuff online. Find those interviews. Find those promos. It might be the best year anyone has ever had doing promos in the history of the business was Mick Foley's year with Paul Heyman and ECW before he came, before Jim Ross convinced Vince McMahon to sign him because he didn't look like a Vince McMahon guy when they signed him in 1996 and then obviously became one of the biggest stars. He was a great facilitator. He was a guy that made other people better. You know, He was the guy you'd want as a point guard because – he elevated Steve Austin. He elevated probably Shawn Michaels. He elevated Triple. He elevated all those guys at that really fascinating time in the industry. And there's a time, you know, people your age, the fascination with that era is, you know, just goes on. The worship for those guys, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, Mick Foley. Legend. You know, that is, it's, yeah, it's really, it's extraordinary. And he's had a, you know, he and Jim Ross, too, have had a great career of sort of going on to doing other things, doing one-man shows and doing comedy and doing – and obviously Mick's been on the New York Times bestseller. You know, he's written novels and you know, he and his wife collaborated, you know, raised all these, all these kids and it's pretty cool. And sometimes he's stuck his sock down somewhere. <laughs> sometimes he has, he has, uh, he has done that. Have any more random, random left turn? Uh, yeah, I was, I was going to take a, I was a question. Gonna, Do you want to talk about Belichick? You want the Belichick answer? I mean, if you're going to provide the Belichick answer, I w- I'd love to hear it. I, I just want to thank you first for saving that non sequitur uh, question from Jay King. I was going to throw some more at you, but the Belichick is uh, very intriguing. What is it like to watch uh, Bill Belichick <laughs> stare down your fiance? <laughs> well, first <laughs> of all, Belichick. as I'm sure, I don't know how much of this leaked out or not, but needless to say. I let this be the first place then if it hasn't, but during the ceremony, six days later, Dana does her vows 
and then they hand the mic to me. And of course, I stared her down about eight, <laughs> ten seconds, just whatever. And everybody wasn't sure what was happening. And then I just said, "Was this the wrong time to do the Belichick thing?" And, you know, the crowd, crowd went crazy, and you know that's my. We, we are performers at the end of the day, so we we're just trying to put on a. For for those unaware, Grandy's wife Dana Jacobson was asking a question of Bill Belichick, and Belichick just stared her down. And, and so th- the question, as a radio guy, yeah. Granny, you should know you got to tell the whole story sometimes. You know, you should. You that's should true. Know. No, that's exactly that's exactly right. But, it's good podcasting. But, but um, sometimes, sometimes I've got to I've got to do your normal role better than you do. That's right, because I'm not right. If I'm a, I'm in the I'm in the guest spot. Uh, she called me the night before and said, "Here's a, here's what you know. We do this from time to time because we're in the same business, and we talked about what the questions were going to be at Belichick." And she gave me the first one. I said, "This is what he's going to say." And she gave me the second one, and I said, "You're going to get the short answer on that." which is going to be awkward when you go into the Antonio Brown question, which you have to ask, because remember, they got rid of Antonio Brown on a Friday afternoon after media was done. So nobody had asked. There had been no questions of Bill Belichick since they had cut Antonio Brown. So therefore, she had no choice but to ask the question. She said, this is what I'm going to do, and I said, you're going to get the death stare. And so the reason, if you watch it, she was completely – I mean, I don't think she would have been affected or surprised – Anyway, but it was exactly as it, we had kind of scripted it the night before, so she was completely unsurprised. It was a matter of her doing what she had to do and Belichick doing what he – and whether or not Belichick should have answered the question or not, whatever. doesn't matter to me. But I didn't think anything – neither one of us thought anything of it. And one of the newest hobbies now of people is – rage on the internet of people taking offense at something that the actual person was not offended at all. So it became a thing because people got offended for Dana and the, you know, people who hate the Patriots around the country and hate Belichick, they went at him. Even some people here just thought he didn't look good. Listen, if a bully fails to bully, he's going to look pretty bad doing it. And it wasn't a great moment for Bill Belichick, but who cares? And what I said to people all the time is, you've got the greatest coach maybe in the history of professional sports. If he's a jerk sometimes, do you really care? You gonna lose any sleep over it? So, I, I would. People are like, oh, were you mad at him? I was like, no. If he had been, what's great is I was one of the people who asked you that. I was hoping you were furious <laughs> with Bill. I know you were, but here's the thing. Here's the here's the real answer. If he had been rude or unprofessional or whatever in the Friday meeting. You know, with Kevin Harlan and Rich Gannon and Dana getting ready for the, you know, I've done a million of those. If he was if he was rude that way in a production meeting, then yeah, on air to me. And maybe this is a little bit of a wrestling thing too, but it's like it's that's show business, man. You know, it's like that. It's a work. Dana had to ask that question. If you want, listen. The only harshest thing I could ever say about Bill Belichick, who comes to Celtic games all the time, and obviously he he is, he's the best to ever do it. But if your credo is going to be, and the thing your philosophy is founded upon, is do your job, maybe you shouldn't be so offended when other people do theirs. Ooh, that was a good one. That would be kind of how I would say it. And as you as you well know, and I, you know, my coach, obviously, my, my wife, not the most popular with coaches now. We had the Leonard Hamilton thing the, the year before. and uh, But that's yeah, she, supposed, She's that's tougher that's than that's you are when she, when she asks questions. Well, the thing is, I'm not really ever in that spot, and I wouldn't, as as you know, uh, obviously, 
you know, Brad's very comfortable with it, but people know if you, if, if Dana is the one doing the interview, if I'm the one doing it, you know, you're going to get the question. You know, I talked to Brad every night. It wasn't always the most, you know, last year wasn't the most fun time to do it. You know, Doc, Doc knew it too. He knew if something came up, he was going to get the question. I'll say this right here. Cause we're, it's the first ever podcast and whatever. Um, I had a conversation, you know, Brad and I have talked, we talked about the China thing the other day in Cleveland. And that was the day, because it was the morning after LeBron had, <laughs> as soon as Adam Silver had gotten us back to DEFCON 5 and all was going to be right with the world. And Adam is sitting there drinking a glass of wine and about to have his dinner. And then the phone blows up because LeBron <laughs> started the, and I just, you just couldn't believe it. I would have given anything to see Adam's reaction because Adam couldn't have handled that any better than he did. I don't care what anybody says. The first statement was a little bit soft from the league, but the league stance was exactly right. And I guess if the Chinese government is furious at you and promising retribution, you're probably doing something right. And he, he handled it perfectly. But we had a conversation before, like, you know, what do you think it's going to be tonight? Because it, we were in Cleveland and LeBron James the night before is the one who, so I think it was in Brad's interest to have an answer ready, Right. And nobody asked the question. I could, we didn't have a. I would have done it. But we didn't have a. We didn't have our pregame. We don't do that in preseason games. We don't have like a full pregame Celtics Tonight show, so we weren't going to have our conversation. But I sat there in disbelief that nobody asked him the question. I think he's kind of beating us down in regard to po- political questions because we I'm, just know he won't say anything. I'm shocked no one's asked him what government means to him yet. <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, you know what? No, what is Chinese government? That's, that's exactly it. That's down. right. That'll be the first question. What does Chinese government mean to you? Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll probably save that for a... Listen, I, I've, told you, I've told you before, but uh, I think I've told this story before, that I knew Brad the... Right, because I told you this story when we did the... the when you When you came to my house late at night last year, and we talked about how when Brad first got here, I had trouble figuring it out figuring out the dynamic because I had just done nine years with Doc, which was a show that just, it was its own thing. That was like a show. We were both on trying to outdo each other from the first second that show would come on for the eight minutes we did every night. That was a thing for nine years. But with Brad, I couldn't figure him out at first. And I tell the Richie Incognito story. It was the fourth game. The Celtics were in Memphis about to go 0-4. And that day, the Richie Incognito thing had happened. And that wasn't a news story and it wasn't a pop culture story it was a sports story about locker room culture and locker room behavior and is significant google it if you don't remember the richie incognito story it's 2013 six years ago so when i went in to see brad that night i said i'm going to do the richie you know you saw the richie incognito stuff today right and he's like no what do you mean and i was like wow all right <laughs> he is he's he's doing out of timeout plays that's what he's doing all day. There's no, there's nothing outside. And then eventually I realized a couple of things, which is he was a normal guy like the rest of us for a long time with the pop culture. It just stopped when he started coaching. So you can oh, do, yeah, he hasn't seen a movie in like 25 years. That's it. But, but if you go Austin powers, $1 million, he'll, he, you know, he gets that <laughs> right. Because there's a cutoff point. And then the other thing I realized is that, that I told Jay in the piece is that, I realized the one person I knew was listening every night was Tracy, his wife. So as I got to know her better, I got to know him better. As a result, I just started doing the show for her. 
in ways that would make that would entertain her. And then it became a you know it just got better and better. And then I think it was in the second year maybe <clears throat> when I decided it was graduation night. It was against the Spurs, and he had done you know he always has those pregame sit downs with Popovich, and everybody's watching. And you know the Greg Popovich just has a special place for Brad, and he got the Indiana thing and all this and that. So and we always would talk about Popovich. We talk about Pop at the end of all these Spurs games. And this night, I just decided he's ready and doesn't need it. So without any prep or any prompting, I get, we get to the end of it. And I get to the last question, and I do it this way <clears throat> on purpose. I say, we're talking about Pop, and he uses his Pop answer. And I said, do you ever think maybe someday that you could become the kind of coach and the kind of personality that might sit there in a pregame media session or a postgame media session and listen to somebody asking you a question that sort of goes on and on and maybe it's got run-on sentences and takes a couple of different directions and then just sort of caustically come back with a one-word answer? And he goes, no. <laughs> Bang, right to break. And I got, and that was the point that I knew, okay, he completely gets it. And we have a, you know, I, I'm really pleased with it now. I think we've got a, you know, it's a fun, <clears throat> it's a fun lesson. But it goes back to the point that, I don't think if there's a tough question, there's a tough question. And he knows he's going to get it from me. And he knows that whatever his answer is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to run him against the wall for eight minutes, like grilling him over an answer, but some stuff has to get done. I think it's the way Max and I have always done it, which is, I know it's different from the way a lot of home quote unquote, I'm doing finger quotes, home team broadcasts are done. And even with teams in this town and, even with our team from time to time, but our, I just don't see the merit of avoiding things that fans are talking about anyway. And that's why, you know, Max and I jumped right into China on, you know, the first game after it happened because I, I, I'm afraid and the whole stick to sports thing. I think with, I tweeted this last week with Ennis Cantor on this team. Yeah. I think what I tweeted was, if you think this is the year Max and I are finally going to stick to sports, sorry. Because it's not, uh, I, I'm terrified when people say there are things you shouldn't talk about or shouldn't address or shouldn't, like, how do we solve them? How do we, that talking things through is the cure for a lot of this stuff. And that's, so I, don't, that's I just why don't understand how, how you can not. That's, that's why, why the three that's of us are pod. here. That's why you turned to Jay that's King. Why we're here. That's Anything why we Anything is potable, guys. Hey, even <laughs> Max has a pod. So, I mean, my gosh. It's a new world out here. It is a yeah, new is. world out here. Yeah, everybody Sean, talking and nobody listening. Sean, I I just want to thank you. Honestly, it, it's it should be you should consider this probably the greatest honor of your career to be the <laughs> very do. first guest on the Anything Is Potable podcast, which everyone should subscribe to on either iTunes or Spotify right now. And I am I'm also honored to be able to to talk to such. Uh, such a great man as yourself. I, such... I understand that. I mean, because it, it's, again, if I say that talking about things is what makes it better, you just spending time around me inherently is going to make you a better person. It's going to exactly. make you a smarter, stronger, more, you know. And, <laughs> and listening to our show will also make the people better. To If you want to subscribe to The Athletic, by the way, there's a 40% discount right now because this show is a big, big deal. So go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable. We will get credit for your subscription, which is all I really care about is getting credit. Yeah. I also 
I get credit for bringing Sean onto this podcast. Jam gets credit for asking better questions than I did. And we all get credit. Thank you all. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Sean, for coming on. Thank you, Jam, for being you. You're welcome. Anytime, guys. This is the debut podcast, and anything is potable. This is... Sean, can you teach him how to do a sign-off? Oh, we're going to work on that. I, think this I, do, like I the do a lot of work on question. my sign-offs, huh? Well, listen, everything is a, everything is a skill. You know, there's... We'll let you sign it off. What are we calling it again? Anything is anything is potable. All you would have had to say was that's the first edition of anything is potable. I would have gone out on something I said and just say, you know, just let it let it live at that. Probably would have been the the way to go. But if if conversation is what makes things better, then this is the place to have Celtics conversation. Something like that, right? That was that was gold. He's a All right, a little shorter. He's a brevity. <laughs> the problem with podcasts, as opposed to a lot of things in my industry, is that you theoretically can just go on and on and on and on. So sometimes you need that hard out. Sometimes you need somebody in your ear saying 10 seconds. So That's it's true. a blessing, not a curse. So sometimes you need to pay attention to the shot clock, as I know well. <laughs> there, yeah, there, was our there was our out. There we got it. That's we'll it. Cut it. <laughs> All right. Take care, Sean. Thanks, man. You got it, guys.